0: Welcome to My Friends in the North with PR and management consultant Sarah Waddington as she interviews some of the leading lights in the north of England about their work, the economy, communications and what makes them tick. Hello and welcome to My Friends in the North. Have you ever wondered what it takes to be a comedian and what goes on behind the scenes of a pantomime? Well, today we're going to find out as my guest is Hal Branson and one of on the talented team behind Cinderella and the Beanstalk, which is on now at the Stan Comedy Club in Newcastle this Christmas. Astute.work is really proud to be a sponsor of the show. Welcome to the show, Hal.
1: Hello, Sarah. Thanks for having me on.
0: Pleasure. So let's kick off with something I'm fascinated by. Live mm-hmm. comedy can be absolutely savage. So what propelled you towards it as a career?
1: Very good question, and one I regularly ask myself. <laughs> um, I think that it's partly the feeling of making making people laugh is very addictive. It's a lovely, lovely feeling. It was, it was a career I came to quite late in my life. I didn't start doing comedy till I was about thirty five. I'd been in like a sketch group before, where we filmed sketches, which meant that you had the luxury of sort of doing a few takes, or and you know there wasn't that sort of direct thing you get with an audience, which is. The thing which I think most people love and hate, uh, you know, find uh, really exciting and equally really terrifying about it, because there is a direct—you could, you know—there's a very good measure of whether or not you're doing well by the fact by how people respond to you. If people laugh, you're doing your job. You if can they see don't, it in their faces. You can see it in their <laughs> eyes. There's no hiding that. Um, so it's an odd one. like I don't know this. It was a, the, the reason I actually started doing it isn't is quite a sad story and that a, a friend of mine um died when i was when I was about thirty five and sorry. he was someone I'd, yeah well, it's what it is. And there was um, he was someone I'd done a lot of comedy with, and there was a point where I thought I thought if I never try to do it, I will never fail at it. That was the way I justified not having a go, even though I harbored the desires of being a comedian. Friends and people I meet would say, "Oh, do you do comedy? Do you you do stand-up comedy?" And I'd say, "No, no, I don't," <laughs> because in, you know, if you never do it, you can never fail. You can be the biggest success in your head, and you can never fail at it. And, and that was the point I thought, "Come on, this is silly. Ha- have a go at it. What's the worst that could happen?" And it went, it went well. I've sort of forged pretty much a career out of it. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's. I found myself doing that through my background was in sort of theatre, then film. And then sort of comedy sketches. So that this felt like the natural end. So a natural did. home for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly, so were you yeah. like that
0: as a child? Were you a big performer, big jazz hands person? And were your parents supportive?
1: I was a, yeah, I was a massive show-off. Um, yeah. It's funny, someone my sister sent me a video the other day of an, a grainy VHS of me in
0: those are the days
1: Pinocchio at uh, first school, which I watched. Um, can the
0: general public spell Pinocchio? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, exactly. Let's ask Stanley
1: Johnston. I think they can, and even if they can't, it doesn't matter. They know who Pinocchio is. Um, so, yeah, I think I was always... Uh, from an early age, I think you learned that if you made people laugh, it was a nice feeling, or if you entertained them, I mean, my dad. My dad. I he won't listen to this. My dad's a very odd man, very odd <laughs> man. But some some of my com- like my comedy. <laughs> yeah, no, but some of my comedy probably does come from him. Um, but he do weird things. Like he was always sort of reciting things or. You know, musically, he liked sort of Ian Jury and The Stranglers and sort of things that that were quite fun Like, Ian Jury's actually quite funny and putting on silly voices and stuff. And my dad would do that. He, he used to recite the Jabberwocky oh, to yeah. us in German.
0: In German? I don't know why... why I mean, it's nonsense <laughs> to begin
1: with, so how he knows nonsense in German. But things like that, I think, it gave me an appreciation of, of being silly. I think there was also a game... Sorry to take this on a slightly darker note, but my parents separated when I was quite young and it was quite unpleasant and... I definitely think there's a compensatory thing that if you, by virtue of that... Because you create a like do,
0: yourself. Yeah,
1: and, and also if you're, if you're sort of feeling slightly neglected because of things that are going on, a way of being noticed is to show off and dance around and, and, and be silly and sort of play the clown. Um, so I think there was an element, there was definitely an element of that. But parents were pretty supportive, as best they could be. <laughs> what, <laughs> they didn't what, stop me. What really. did they
0: want you to do? What would you have done? What's your, what's your kind of career fallback choice?
1: Well, interestingly, so my dad's side of the family, my mum's side of the family are, were sort of working middle class. My my granddad, my mum's dad, died when she was about eight, so they. My mum ended up going to Cambridge, I think, on a bursary, and that's when my parents met. So I think my my mum was a teacher for years, and then she was a psychotherapist, and she did some upholstery for a while. So she was sort of all very professional.
0: All very professional, yeah. yeah.
1: My dad's side of the family are sort of more upper middle class, but interestingly, there was apparently a sort of generational thing, and that my great grandfather, I think, was. Involved in law, and it was expected that my grandfather would go into law, and he was a complete dropout. Ended up, you know, being kicked out of university. Ended up being a car dealer. My dad oh, then did very well, went to Cambridge, is now a doctor. And then I think I'm the next one down who oh, got dear. expelled from school.
0: <laughs> oh wow! He just managed to
1: scrape a Tech. Did manage to get to university, but did terribly at university. We're not going to see you a anytime
0: soon, are we? <laughs> there was a bit
1: where I, I did... When I was little, I used to say I wanted to be a barrister and I never knew why. I didn't... I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just poncing around in a wig.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Now <laughs> we know. I,
1: I don't think I knew what it was. I think I knew that it looked quite good fun and you got to dance. It was the most dramatic version of a proper <laughs> Maybe I should have been a barista, not a barrister, because I'm a hipster.
0: <laughs> so, comedy, though. Obviously, that is your chosen career. While it makes you the life and sort of the party, are you different in private? You know, there's this thing called the side clown effect. You, is that you?
1: The simple answer is yes. There is isn't. There is some truth in that. And it's interesting, I think a lot of people assume comedians, when you meet them, are just non-stop, gag, 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 but it's tiring. It's tiring to be around it's tiring to be that person. And quite often, the funniest people, you meet comedians and they're very quiet, they're very shy, and you thought, and they get on stage and they become, you know, they they come out of their shell or they there's there's a sort of character that they play on stage. Just not specifically
0: bit like Lorraine on TV, Lorraine yeah. for tax purposes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there
1: you go. Um, so I think I think there is some truth in that, and I think it goes back, I suppose, to the original question about um, you know, like it sort of being a show off. There is definitely an element where you put forward this persona of yourself who's hilarious and funny and everything's just a joke and everything's material whereas behind closed doors a lot of comedians are racked by like I've got quite a few mental health issues and yeah there's a lot of time I and I can be on the side of a stage sort of having panic attacks or having had a terrible day where I've been in tears and then can go out on stage and you wouldn't know and you deliver you'd just go oh yeah he's, he seems fine he's having a great time he's pulling yeah. silly faces and telling jokes and it's and it's all good But so I think there is some truth in that it's not always the case there are a lot of comedians who are absolutely fine, but I think sometimes the ones who aren't are more... Uh, it's a more exciting act to watch, yeah. or they've got more interesting Slightly tapes. on the edge, things. yeah. Yeah, or, the, or their perception on material. You know, a lot of stuff is fairly boring, like all of you seen those machine, self-scan machines and checkouts, and you can relate to it, and you go, yeah, yeah. But I think people who do suffer a bit more can quite often have a more interesting take Perception. on things or, or yeah. can be very honest about how they're feeling and find humour in that which can be quite interesting for people to listen to especially if they can relate to it or they are able to see this person who's clearly having a breakdown actually making it? Yeah, exactly, like that, you know? <laughs>
0: making great TV yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> so that's a great segue into my next question because you mentioned mental health issues now obviously working in comedy and live yeah. performances take hours and hours out of the day I think people probably don't appreciate the length of time that it takes and often you do performances twice a day how do you manage your mental health and especially when a gig doesn't go to plan because that's got to be pretty rough
1: okay so the the first answer answer to your first question is you do need to learn how to sort of manage it I'm going to appreciate everyone's got their own take on it and I'm I'm not someone who sort of advocates and says this is what you should do some things that work some people some work things work for other people. Personally, I do take some medication. and it took years to find the right one. Um, I do hot yoga <laughs> because I'm that sort hot of Hot yoga is great. It is brilliant. Yeah. I don't a lot of people, but it is my lesson. Are you a lycra like, I'm not a Lycra man though no. I'm, I'm a hide at the back
0: <laughs> sort of. I
1: did go to one yoga class and I, was, I felt so exposed because it was really not literally I was wearing clothes but, um, <laughs> but I didn't enjoy it and then someone said oh you should try this hot one it's in essentially like a big dark tent so I hide at the back it's yeah. the pod and, so it's, and, and I really like it I played badminton Um, that's another of my like little things Um, I'm not judging no no um, and I have therapy so there you go that that balances out and that's my sort of what I've written here is my YBTM yoga badminton therapy medication (laughs)
0: Um,
1: so yeah self care is important it's very easy to to slip behind on that especially because a lot of gigs are late at night you're driving home two in the morning it's very easy to, your diet can slip because you like well, stop at a garage and eat rubbish or seek solace in a in a twirl. King's Other test. chocolate bars are available. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a, a care care is is hard and it, it took me a long time. And part of the therapist was like, you need to build in time to say. I'm not work, I'm gonna take a day off and lie around and, do, and have a bit of self-care whether it be yoga or swimming or just lying on the sofa and doing nothing. I
0: think lots of people would identify with that especially this time of year and
1: yeah, oh, it's really hard completely. to find
0: any time whatsoever uh, at yeah. this point isn't it a couple of couple of weeks outside of Christmas
1: Just to answer the second part of your question very quickly because it is an interesting one. For the first couple of years a bad gig will haunt you It'll absolutely haunt you and it's the thing you have to kind of the thing you have to go through to get good at being a comedian, I'm now at a point where, by and large, if a gig goes badly, I can rationalise and go, almost like CBT, right, and go, is there enough evidence to prove that I'm funny? Yes, I've done plenty of gigs where people have laughed. And quite often, there's so many weird dynamics with comedy that there are rooms that aren't good for comedy. That you, like, I, people used to say when I got into comedy, oh, it's a bad room for comedy. It's a good room for comedy. But what are you talking about? If you're funny, you're funny. And then you find out there is, like, the rooms to be set a certain way, the audience need to be put in a, a way that they can, uh, you know, uh, be receptive to comedy. So in the dark, yeah. <laughs> ideally, you know, you want you lit up and them in the dark, you want music, little things like that. So now I'm at a point where if a gig goes badly, I can go, well, I wasn't very good today. Or that audience, I'm not judging them, but they weren't up for it or they weren't, you know, given the, mm. the right scenario to laugh. At. So there you
0: go. Yeah, so you can actually rationalise it all and justify it, but yeah, it's not yeah. going to take a big yeah, chunk yeah. out of your confidence. Actors yeah. um, and comedians can be superstitious. Are you? Is there anything you absolutely have to do or avoid doing before you go on stage? No. No? You just no do Once you're
1: ready, you're ready. No, I don't. I, don't. I was going to make some joke about sacrificial animals <laughs> and stuff, but no, not really. I don't drink before I go on stage. A lot of comedians, I think, they have to be drunk to sort of do it, and I yeah. don't think that's healthy. Although saying that, I, I had a similar thing where, they were, going back to the mental health thing, that there was a long time where I was seeking approval from an audience. So I needed the audience to like me to feel okay about myself which yeah. is a very very dangerous thing that's like going I'm Super going to become slow. a traffic warden because I need respect Do you know what I mean it's yeah. just, it doesn't work and I work. like the jacket yeah exactly <laughs> and, and and also it means that if a gig goes badly that was my day ruined and it was then my wife's day ruined and think you know because I'd be moping around so I think you you should not go into it looking for that but no in terms of superstitions I don't really have any I'm quite a rational person so I know that I think maybe early on there was a point when I used to probably wear certain because a gig had gone well when you were wearing one pair of shoes, you'd then reverse engineer it and go, Well, it was obviously the shoes. It was like confirmation bias. But no, the simple answer to your question is no, I'm not superstitious.
0: Oh, that's cool. So tell us about Cinderella and the Beanstalk. Yes, you heard that right. Um, which is a mashup of two traditional pantomimes with a refreshingly alternative take. You're teaming up with Lee Kyle, Hannah Walker, and Sammy Dobson again. So, how did you all meet? Who's written the script? What happens? Well, what happens? Right, so
1: um, let's try and make this a a good answer. So, I mean, the way this... This is the second year we've done a pantomime. The reason we're doing it is um, in 2017, Lee Kyle was in a pantomime somewhere else that I won't mention and came away from it not really enjoying the experience but saying, hang on, why aren't we doing something like this? That kind of re-rules... Whilst it still has the kind of basic conceits of a panto, why don't we rewrite it to make it slightly more modern with much better messages... And make it fun, make it affordable, um, which was another big thing for us. So we kind of knew each other through doing stand up. Lee, Lee's been going quite a long time, but when I, st- Sammy and I started around the same time. Lee is a brilliant comedian and has always been very supportive of new acts, if they're any good. You'll kill me that. But so we, the three of us have always been friends. Hannah, we sort of knew um, from being at, at the stand and things like that. So we just came together as a team. I think we work well, we all bring something very differently. So Lee is the sort of Bernie Taupin. He writes all the songs. Sammy writes most of the music. I do a lot of the tech stuff. Because there's only four cast members, we pre-film a lot of stuff for the for the show when we kind of interact with the screen. So this year we've got like Ben Crompton from Game of Thrones is in it. Amy Gledhill, who's from a sketch group called The Delightful Sausage, who've just been on Channel 4, Harry Hill's Club Nine. Um, so I do a lot of that stuff. In terms of the script writing, we all kind of contribute. Like Lee will uh, kind of, we sit together and we... You know, write the bare bones of it. This year we made a rod for our own back because, as you flagged, we are doing Cinderella and the Beanstalk, which is a mashup of two pantomimes. So getting the logic of how these two worlds interact. More easily
0: said than done, I guess.
1: It is. And yeah. and again, you know, like anything in life, you start with this idea and go, well, why don't we do this? And it seems brilliant. Then when you get down and start sort of... Drugs the detail, it down, you're like, oh, going, do you like, <laughs> And we keep using this excuse. Oh, it's a pantomime, it doesn't mind. But there are bits where we're like, does the logic work for an audience? Are they going to understand where our story starts and begins and how these two pantomimes collide. Overlap. And yeah. and we, we we had our opening weekend last weekend and it went pretty well for an opening weekend, but off the back of that, we are doing a few tweaks to... And Ben Crompton, again, came in and sat on an early performance and said, why have you done it like that? And we went, we <laughs> don't know why we did it like that. And he went, why don't you do it like this? And we went, we'll do it like that. And that change has made a big, big difference. Yeah.
0: Is it hard writing a script that will work for adults, but also, you know, this is for five five plus, right? Yeah. That must be tricky. I mean, there's going to be some innuendo you can always get yeah. away with. I mean, that's long been the way with comedy, hasn't it? But yeah. that, that must be tough. It,
1: it is It is a tricky balance, because I think because we're all comedians... I mean, Lee does the kids' comedy show, so he's brilliant with the kids. And he he actually... The thing we discovered last year is what's helpful is he goes on at the beginning, chats to all the children and says, this is a pantomime, this is how it works, boo when the bad people come on, cheer when they are, clap at the end of the songs, you know, things like that. Um... But yeah, writing is, is tricky because I think quite often we write jokes either for ourselves or for adults and we have to be very strict about censoring ourselves because there's even now there's bits in that show which we go, that was for us. Last year, The Queen, The Evil Queen, was called Queen Gaffney, which was a play on Dean Gaffney. About three people got it. We found it <laughs> hilarious. Um, but it is, it is a tricky balance. I think, there, I think we have struck it.
0: And you can ever t- guess you've got a small... You've got a little daughter, so you can, yeah, yeah, say, yeah. you can oh, test on Juno, can't no, you? No, she, I think
1: she's <laughs> Well, interestingly, last year we did have one school came in. Right. a Christian school. We got a complaint afterwards, yeah. and I was so nervous. And we got this complaint. It was actually some of the parents who'd come along, right? And what they actually were upset with was we were dealing with quite modern themes, so there's things around gender and sure. sexuality, not and we weren't, which expl- is what's great
0: about it because yeah. actually, you you're not dead true to the original fairy tales what, kissing and you're just,
1: women while they're asleep. Yeah, like, right?
0: <laughs> we've been there before, it's yeah, not, yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you're, like I know you're very vocal on this, yeah. <laughs> but you know. yeah, but it's great to see, yeah. like current themes explored, exactly.
1: But that, yeah. that's what a Upset them in terms of innuendo. I think we had genuinely about two or three jokes in it last year, which were, and it was interesting. The school as well brought very young children to whom innuendo means nothing. nothing. Yeah. I, I won't give an example, which I nearly did, but you know it literally goes over their heads. If you say something, they will interpret interpret it literally. They won't see that there's a second meaning. This year, I, genuinely, I don't think there is. A joke in it. I think there was one bit that Lee riffed the other day, which he keeps saying. Which again, I don't think people will pick up on. And I got, I got really kind of worried last year and thinking, I'm really don't. And partly because of that school and was being really precious about it. And so we spoke to someone who went. We went to see the. Uh, another big pantomime which i not <laughs>
0: mention. and said
1: it was filth it was like just yeah. it, like and just smoke probably yeah, yeah. smoke and not even properly done Yeah, I hate really
0: pantomimes done. so obviously we came along to, to your pantomime last year and oh, I very kindly
1: pantomime really really, really
0: enjoyed it I mean I knew the kids would and I knew yeah. Stephen Wood, it's right yeah, up yeah, his yeah, street yeah, yeah. but um, not my usually up my strata so, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I, we had a really great day out yeah, I mean really I giggled all the way pleased.
1: through yeah good I'm pleased <laughs> well I, hopefully this year is as good I think there were there were some lovely bits in it and I think there is again I think our use of video and things like that are quite uh, quite interesting for, for people's experience of it it's quite there's some quite clever stuff in it that I think works and, and I think it's funny and it's it's a
0: fiver yeah, exactly. It's a fiver. Yeah, what, We're what, what, going, what is, yeah, you can buy your tickets. Yeah,
1: you'll get your money's worth.
0: Stand Comedy Club. <laughs> just got to go on the site. They're
1: yeah. all there. Oh, www.standpanto.com. I've built us a website. Oh, check you um, out. i that. has got all the all the stuff on it. Um.
0: So where do you get inspiration for your day-to-day comedy work? I mean, you say that sometimes it's just mm. looking at stuff and making observations. Yeah, well, what, yeah. what works for you?
1: Um... Well, there's a big thing commonly about sort of finding your voice, and there, there is a truth in that. There a lot of comedians will start out and they'll try and do, you know, because there's so many different comedians, you've got people who do one-liners and things like that, like Tim Vine, and then you've got people who uh, are more anecdotal, you've got surrealists and things like that, and I think a lot of people, including myself, i tried lots of different things, and I've kind of found vaguely where I am, which is is primarily anecdotal, it is but kind of putting, trying to put a bit of a spin on it, so it's not observational. It's more telling the stories of things that have happened in my life and my experiences. I do quite a bit about parenting, which is by no means original, but I'd like to think my take on it is a bit original. So there's definitely things that people can relate to, and other things where they go, I, that is bizarre. I did try doing quite a bit of surreal, kind of clowny, Vic Reevesy, you know, Mortimer style stuff. I was supporting a comedian called Sam Simmons, who is known for that, and I really enjoyed it, but I've never quite—I st- didn't have the quite have the courage to, to stick with it. So, in terms of inspiration, there—it's funny. There is actually—I've I've got a note section in my phone. where I will quite often make a little note. I'll be out walking the dog late at night. And I'll make a little note going. So
0: it's the dog walk. It's always the dog walk.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'll I'll write a note and go. Oh, that's really funny. Right, that's brilliant. And then a few days later, I'll look at my note section and go, "What on earth
0: <laughs>
1: does that mean?" Or did it, why did I ever think that was funny? So. Yeah, I think I don't have a... I, I'm getting better about sitting and writing. I do the Pomodoro technique. Do you know that?
0: No, I don't know that. The Pomodoro
1: technique is is uh you write a kind of for, tomato well, 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 well right it is because it is the amount of time it makes to make a pomodoro tomato sauce oh there we go so you set your clock for 20 minutes and go i'm just going to turn everything off wi-fi off and all the rest of it and right for 20 minutes after the time goes off you take a break and it really works because quite often you either
0: really focus
1: no in, distraction you go, yeah and, and, you, you, got the and pressure. you just I guess kind of, the
0: adrenaline push that you need yeah. to get through it's like really yeah. coming towards a deadline Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would oh, never so. wait to
1: the very end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also if you say, I've got four hours, I've got to do all this stuff, it seems really intimidating. Or if you go, I've got to do 20 minutes, I can manage that and I'll have a 10 minute break. You find that, oh wow, I actually got loads done. Or And you just kind of, rather than sitting there, just write anything. Mm. If it's rubbish, it probably will be rubbish. But if you get one bit out of it.
0: Right, we're almost up to time. already okay, I've, I've been waffling. i all day. Oh, no, it's great, but I've got two, I'm going to cut down to two questions. Okay. You and your lovely wife, Beth, have got Juno. We mentioned Juno before. Yeah. It's hard being a parent. What makes you optimistic for the future, and what conversely concerns you most? Oh,
1: well, before we started recording, Sarah and I had a very intense political <laughs> chat. Chat, not debate, we're on the same team. Um, <laughs> without giving too much away. Um, I mean, we are recording this on Wednesday, the 11th of December. Yep. Poised on the edge of probably the biggest election of my Our mind. generation, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so, uh, what makes me—I should start optimistic because there's a lot to be pessimistic about. If the election goes one way on Thursday, then I—it really scares me. Genuinely, genuinely scares me. What makes me optimistic? Well, I think the northeast—we've got a lot to be proud of. I think there's a lot going on in the northeast, and I'm really happy that I'm kind of live here um, I sort of grew up here. Not—I'm not born here, but I grew up here. Went to university and came back, and I'm really happy to be settled here. I think it's a lovely part of the world, um, and. It's uh, it's nice to see a child grow up, and certainly the age she's at, she's unaware of anything that's going on. Yeah. So there is a joy, kind of living vicariously through her toddler-like joy, where she's got no sense of what's going on. I'm optimistic that by the time she is older, things will there will be some sort of shift yeah. politically, which will be okay. Yeah. I this sounds really trite and naff, but I know around the time of Brexit, I got really upset, and and I thought the best thing you can do, especially with all the kind of racism either it's kind of it's underlying very casual. Or, I
0: think that's the yeah, worst exactly. thing I mean it's like people now find it acceptable to exactly. say things that you
1: wouldn't dream of completely and I think that's yeah. what, what it's, it's almost legitimised that and I thought again this sounds really naff but the best you can do is go out and be kind of nice to people and yeah. be kind I agree and to show people who might be suffering from some sort of prejudice to, that you are not one of these people who yeah. I mean, because I'm like suffering from horrible middle class guilt. Though, yeah, yeah, you yeah I, I go out smiling, it. Like, <laughs> overdoing it, and people go, what the hell is it? Oh, "I'm one of the good guys." Please, um, but I think that's that's that. It's not the best answer, but that's kind of. Um, I think that's lovely. It. Yeah, no, it's a good way
0: to yeah. be a model. And, and more, also got a daughter, down, right? because
1: we've got a daughter, also. Um, I think there are coming on leaps and bounds. There's still a lot to be done with gender pay gap and things like that, but it's nice in that,
0: terms of equality.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I'm battling it you know wanted to be a princess and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've kind of given in. because I'm like, she's two, it doesn't matter. She can pretend. can you do that as well.
0: That's exactly. What you want I to do. know what that you was want hard for me. Do. I was going
1: too far the other way. Where it was no. like I've got a whole routine I do on stage about buying her a little pretend kitchen
0: <laughs> and how
1: what a stress that was because I was like, why are we buying that kitchen? Because she's a woman. She that's where she thinks she's got to be. And God, well it's not a pink kitchen. It's from IKEA. It's from made from reclaimed wood, so it's okay. She back to the kitchen
0: yeah okay, very well no, exactly. know, that's good so then very me, me and Juno
1: went and bought this kitchen because obviously Beth had to stay home and do her chores <laughs> there you go there's the Boom. routine there's
0: Boom. the <laughs> so let's wrap up what top okay. tips would you give to anybody interested in giving comedy a go uh,
1: don't. don't just no.
0: don't no no, no, no that's that's
1: what, you, you get asked this a lot by, politics yeah going to politics <laughs> you get asked this a lot by kind of newer acts um I think there's certainly things a lot of people think they're comedians because they're funny with their friends, and it's a very, very different thing. I've seen a lot of people who think they're funny get up on stage and just Die. crumble because yeah. it's a completely different thing. If you're funny with your friends, that doesn't necessarily mean they. It's not mutually exclusive. They they can, sometimes can be funny. Give it a go. Accept that it will probably go badly for quite a long time. Don't be bruised by that. Keep working hard. Um, keep going to open mic nights. Keep refining your material working on it working on working in the initial all you want to do is have a five minute set which doesn't sound like a lot but when you walk on stage for your first time five minutes feels like the world well yeah and you've
0: got to so, write it then you've be got to write a thousand
1: words so yeah exactly I think, yeah. I mean, well, and the tricky band, thing with comedy is it's one of the things where you can't find out if something's funny until you're out there you never get a chef bringing you an empty plate and going. Imagine that with some food on. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's you know they get to try their food. You know they'll cook it and try it with other chefs and go. Let's refine mm. it. With comedy, you have to go out there and try it and accept that sometimes it won't work. And but yeah, that's really mindfulness.
0: Thanks Hal for being an absolutely fantastic guest and for sharing what life as a comedian is like. You basically couldn't pay me enough. There's just no way. There's just no way. But if you'd like to keep up to date with what Hal's up to, you can connect with him via his Facebook page, Hal Bronson. Or, I can't even get that out. It's yeah. easy to meet Hal
1: Bronson If you Google Hal Bronson or uh, Facebook, you, you know. Hal Bronson comedian, on there as well.
0: Or follow him on Twitter, at Hal Bronson. We're now almost at the end of the first series of My Friends in the North, but there's still an opportunity to get involved. So if you or a client would like to be on the show, drop me a line at Sarah at astute.work. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to My Friends in the North with Sarah Waddington. You can find Sarah on Twitter at Mrs. underscore Wads. Or get involved with the podcast by emailing Sarah at astute.work. See you next time.